Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. My name's Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Today, we have a super, super special episode that I have been dying to share with you. The episode contains chats with several creatives that have these fantastic tactics and ideas that have personally inspired me. I've personally referenced them tons of times since I've had these conversations. And this episode is going to end with an excerpt from a chat that I had that brought me to real salty tears in my eyes. And I'm getting teary just thinking about this inspirational uh, tidbit that I got from one of these chats. All of these chats were recorded while traveling to one location. Where did I find all of this creative inspiration, you might ask? Was it the bustling innovations of Silicon Valley? Was it from the trend-setting minds of Williamsburg, Brooklyn artists? Maybe these exciting ideas came from some mythical and mysterious creative hotspot like Marfa, Texas. Uh, No, no, no. The, The recent trip that's had me buzzing with creative fuel was from a journey to a little place called Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
I got an email from South Dakota. A state emailed me and asked us personally to come visit the creative things that were happening in Sioux Falls. And if I'd got this email from South Dakota, uh, asking to sponsor a trip and a podcast episode about their creative turf just like one year ago, I might have not done it. But this request came shortly after a deep conviction that I had bubbling from within me to uh, uh, to and I and I shared this conviction on the podcast just six months ago or something about wanting to highlight not just the creative celebrities that are the exceptions to the rules, but to the to celebrate creative practitioners that are day in day out showing up with creative practices and disciplines and 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 tactics in their creative tool belts and doing the work. You do not have to be world famous to have a thriving creative practice and I want to show that on this show and I want to highlight it from time to time. In fact, a thriving creative practice has nothing to do with fame. In my definition, a thriving creative practice means doing work, creative work that's lighting you up creatively and is allowing you financially to thrive in your lifestyle. How do I know this is possible without being famous? Because I saw these people living and thriving and bursting with creative wisdom in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I had tons of fun while I was there uh, in the town visiting the sculpture trail, eating delicious food and drinking delicious coffee and beer at all the independent restaurants and cafes. It was mwah, fingers kiss chef thing. Um, but what hit me the hardest were the people. Not only was every person I met in these creative locations super enthusiastic about their creative stuff and they were super welcoming, but they were super legit. I'm talking Instagram verified kind of legit. I'm talking runs world-class publications that I'm already obsessed with before I even knew about these owners in, in South Dakota. Legit. I'm talking about full-on uh, huge creative nuggets of wisdom, uh, just as legit and interesting and inspiring as some of the most famous people that I've in interviewed on this show. That's the kind of legit these people are. This episode is a celebration of the 99% of thriving creatives that don't live in the biggest markets and have fancy chairs and awards, but they just show up day in, day out, doing their creative practice and knocking it out of the park. This episode is for you. In this episode, I'm going to share pieces of four conversations I had while I was in South Dakota. Each one of them contains one or two or three super tactical, strategic, creative tips that you can use today. There really is creative magic hiding in the everyday. I was, uh, you know, Sioux Falls, it's famous, there's just gorgeous uh, waterfall um, that I went and saw and it was covered in snow and ice and it was just so freaking pretty. And I was reminded of this meme that I saw recently online where uh, it was like this sad-faced cat or something. And it said, 
the feeling of when you check behind waterfalls in a video game and there's no secret treasure. Um, <laughs> and I just felt like, man, there was so much treasure hiding behind these falls. I was not the sad cat meme. I was the happy, excited video game explorer who found thriving creative magic behind the falls of Sioux Falls. And so I uh, want to go through each of these conversations, give you some of this magic, show you that you that wherever you are, whatever you're facing, that they, these obstacles, these perceived constraints can be the magic hiding in your everyday. Let's get to the first one. Just a heads up, if you're listening with small ears, whether you have small ears or, you know, children with ears that are small, there is some uh, adult language in this episode. So just be warned. Okay, so our first clip is with illustrator and designer Les Cotton. Les works at a... Uh, pl- a marketplace. He's a creative director at this place called Looks, Looks, L O O K S Marketplace. And that's where we were set to meet up and have our chat. When I got to Looks, I was genuinely blown away. The marketplace is this huge modern boutique butcher and grocery store and coffee shop and incredible restaurant. I had a unforgettable cheeseburger while I was at Lux. I'm still dreaming about it now. Uh, The brand was so stunning and modern and fun that I was like, how can this be here? Where, Where did this come from? They have this huge slick sausage character, like modern character logo that's been made into this massive lit up sign in the front of the shop and it was so stunning i was like i gotta learn what the heck where did this how did this pop up in this spot and i looked him up on instagram and their handle is at looks market sf and i instantly thought oh okay that makes sense sf like san francisco it's like a part of a chain that was birthed from san francisco that totally makes all it makes all of this make so much more sense. And then I thought, boom, no, you idiot. It's not SF like San Francisco. It's SF as in Sioux Falls. I feel like this story uncovers my own deep-seated creative bias that great things can only come from huge coastal creative hotspots. You know, I don't live in a huge coastal creative hotspot. And so this bias is even hurting my ability to make excellent things. If I'm in in the back of my mind, if I'm believing like, well, I'll make something cool, but it'll never be as cool or as important or as legit as stuff coming out of LA or New York or Portland or whatever. And so I, I, I was humbled to find out that this incredible spot was homegrown in Sioux Falls, and it helped me dismantle some of my own creative mythology. I want to cut to my conversation, a clip from my chat with Les Cotton, the creative director at Looks Marketplace, uh, and 
I was so excited about the tactics that he shared. I feel like there's some good mindset stuff here and some practical stuff that can uh, might even help some of you make some quick cash, which I think everybody is into. I was super pumped about this. And he, he framed them. He branded these ideas for himself in such a way that I just thought, man, these are so portable and exciting as tips. Super pumped to share them with you. Here's my little chat with illustrator, skateboarder, designer, and creative director, Les Cotton. Man, I wish my name was Les Cotton. That's, that's such, a good, uh, such a good name. All right, here he is. Almost always my client stuff where the pressure's on, the stuff that I'm doing there came from my sketchbook when I wasn't on the clock. You know what I mean? So there's something where you can borrow from yourself of all the time that you make where you're like, this is not, this is, should be a complete waste of time. If you can get into that zone, then later you can uh, borrow from yourself, steal, you know, and and get and add it to the situations where all of a sudden now it's on the clock and it's important and the deadline's there or whatever. I definitely have like a graveyard uh, folder on my computer where it's just like, random like ideas and thoughts that maybe like you know I have this big illustrator document there's this one thing and I'm like that could be something someday like everything else is shit yeah that thing so I'm saving it dude I love the graveyard folder that's amazing I yeah I've got a whole I think even sometimes I'll go back through sketchbooks and remember things and see things that I've completely forgot about and yeah, that's a that's a, I love that practice. That's yeah, I was, awesome. I was updating my website last night and putting like some of my old Instagrams on there and just like going through it like for like a couple of years ago. I'm like, yeah, dude, I made this and this and it's just like now it's just like a stack. That's the thing too. It's just like the the iPad's been kind of nice and not. You mm-hmm. know, it's like now pros and I cons. Have, I don't have I don't have that stack of paper anymore. You know, so like yeah, a, I've ha- I've recently started to go back and like now I have scrap papers like everywhere and just like little things yeah, there just to, to to do it. Even though I'm trying to like not collect so much shit, <laughs> yeah, it's like just I have a closet just stacks of it. I actually like um, last year uh, my my basement got flooded and I had to completely take out all of my. Uh, all the carpet in the basement, and we redid it in tile. So uh, if it happens again. Yeah. Because wet carpet <laughs> is, the, is the fucking worst. Yeah. Um, and to help pay for the tile, I had like some of, some got ruined, but I had a huge stack, and I just like, well, I'm just gonna go on Instagram and sell these for like twenty, thirty bucks, and I made, yeah, I made enough money to pay for the tile. That's then. awesome. And, like, That's, and it's just like little shitty doodles, you know? Like, yeah. Not framed, not anything. It's like. Like some of the stuff here is like crap, but if you cut it out, mm. that part's rad. And That's like, sweet. I, I kind of had a good response to that. I should. I kind of want to uh, repost and do a little bit more because I found some more. You know, like it's it's so crazy. Like some people like they get scared with those, like the high price points of like art framed art. You know, uh-huh. I can spend three hundred dollars on this. I mean, it's dope. Yeah, I don't have three hundred dollars, but people yeah. spend like fifty dollars on like. Whole, just a few little drawings, you know, mm. like the amount. I was I was super surprised, like with the the response to that. So yeah. that's awesome. That's a good tip. I I actually uh, flood lemonade. I think. What? Yeah, flood, I made lemonade out of that <laughs> shit. You know? That's amazing. That's yeah, dude. Flood lemonade. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, man, that's good. I, that's good thinking. I I actually my manager's always giving me crap. He shares a studio with me, and he. 
is always watching me throw away all of my sketches. I throw, I've been way more ruthless about it for some reason. And he's like, dude, somebody will want that. Like, and I, you know, I think about how I treat, I have random sketches and doodles from some of my heroes and I'm like, I frame them and I'm like, dude, yeah. So I think, you know, you never, like there's so many things that I think you don't even have to be some huge established artist. Like if you're doing stuff that's cool, people would like to, you know, decorate their house with that and thing. Totally, and, that's what, and I've totally seen that. It's like, yeah, I have this like this, you know, four by four little doodle that you drew just like at work one day. In my yeah, house. it looks sweet as fucking a frame too. Man, yeah, that's a good idea. And you've got a lot of good gold here, man. You've got yeah. the garbage file. You've got the flood lemonade. This is straight up gold. Look, uh, the other thing I did with my uh, my my drawings, I I, I said to. I'm setting, I'm 30, 35, so in five years, if I don't sell all of it, I'm going, what's his name, John, oh, he just died, that contemporary artist, I will not make any more boring art, who's, what's his name, uh, starts with a B, anyway, he burned, when he was turned 40, he burned all of his artwork. Oh yeah, and I'm do, I'm, um, I'm totally doing that. That's a, actually that's, that's I can't remember I, it, I can't remember what the name is. Oh really? Yeah, I like I posted and it was like if if they're if you don't take them, I'm burning them tomorrow. <laughs> and I, like, it's like this sweet doodle. I'm like, eh, no one wanted it. That's <laughs> amazing. Did you film it? Yeah, dude, it that's story. awesome. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I off you could have bought it. All right, we got the graveyard folder and the flood lemonade. Come on. That's, that, that is golden. I love the graveyard folder. I've been thinking more about this recently. We talked about it on the podcast, this idea of rebooting old pieces of work. And a lot of that stuff can come from, you know, sometimes most of the stuff I do for client stuff, the best stuff is stuff that I was doing in my free time and my self-initiated work. And I reboot random little, th- little happy accidents from the sketchbook or weird things that happened in a personal project. And I kind of license those from myself for creative projects. I, f- I love that. I love this idea of the graveyard folder, you know, throwing stuff in there, cataloging things that happened that you don't really have any purpose for. You don't know what it might be good for. I do this all the time when I have stories for the podcast. I have a little note on my phone that's just like, I don't know what this story means. I don't know how it could relate, but I'm going to just catalog all these things so that when an episode comes up and I need some extra juice, I can sift back through there and find some stuff in my graveyard folder. Uh, Love that one from Les. And then I freaking love the idea of selling these odds and ends from your creative practice. They might not mean anything to you, but going around to my buddy Andrew Nyer, his new house, he's got lots of framed sketches and original pieces from some of our favorite artists. There's just something so incredible about their hand was on this stuff. And I'm sure to those artists, they're like, yeah, you know, might as well put that in recycling bin, but you'd be blown away by how much people want your originals. And so I'm going to start exploring some of that too. Love the flood lemonade idea of like this thing that was a total disaster. He just put a spin on it, turned those lemons into lemonade. And I love this idea of like, if someone doesn't buy this in the next hour, I'm going to set it on fire. It's just freaking brilliant. Love that, Les. Had a blast talking to you. Let's go to my conversation from Mitch Torbert. He is a 
designer. He works at the Fernson Brewing Company. And actually, when I first got to Sioux Falls and they were giving me a little tour, I saw the brewing, uh, the brewery, and I was like, man, that is a dope brand. Like the, they had all this beautiful signage in white on the windows. And I just thought, dude, that freaking looks fantastic. And because I was, you know, flying by the seat of my pants and just kind of taking it as they were delivering it, like just let them lead the way with these people. I didn't even know I was about to go talk to the designer behind the brewing company. And so I was pleasantly surprised, got to sit down over a, a beer from Fernson. It was very delicious, a little hazy IPA, so tasty. Sat down, chatted with my man, Mitch, and he was delivering some hot fire about defining the problems, defining good, and in manual labor as a way to unlock ideas. Here it is, Mitch Torbert. I want to, this is a two-part question. So the first one is, um, what does a bad day look like as a creative for you? And then how do you, what are your, what's in your utility belt to shake that up? And it, and it might relate to, uh, you can, and then where I'm going to go next is about being in smaller markets. I'm in a smaller market. Lots of my listeners are. You know, I think yeah. I love, I have tons of friends in New York that, and I love the scene there, but I do think um, that there's a lot of people that get tired of feeling like everything's about New York or everything's about the coasts. Um so it doesn't have to be, your bad days don't have to be related to that, but sure. that's where we're going to talk about next, so that's the big umbrella. Bad days. Sure, yeah. I have like two bad days out of seven every week. That's really? about, okay. yeah. That's, so I, so you know, that's the bad days that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, just like, you're like, ah, the weather sucks today, there's no sun, you know, whatever it is. You're, what am I even doing with my life? Like, what are the ways you come to the office and you're like, okay. These are my go-to things to get my inspiration kicking or whatever. Sure. I, I would say that, like, the the biggest thing I can do... Well, okay, let me bat, back up and answer the, the bad day thing. Yeah. There's oftentimes... Uh, very often that we've got a we've got a, a general uh, direction for a beer, for example, or a campaign, um, but we don't necessarily know what the spirit of it is, and we're we're kind of um, in between things. And, and oftentimes, I will start working in software or in a sketchbook uh, a little bit too early, yeah. And and that seems like it often kickstarts. Uh-huh. What a bad day is, uh-huh. is that I haven't I haven't done my legwork. What is um, the legwork? It's so. The legwork, then, one of the solutions is I, I've got. Sorry, a great, I skipped ahead. No, yeah, I've but, got a great. Yeah. I, I've got a, a, a great partner mm. in the marketing department. It's basically, just Evan Richards and I that are. This guy. Yeah, this guy over here. Behind us who's probably lis- listening in. But, uh, Shout out to Evan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we've worked together for a long time, and we've gotten a very good dynamic, and we sit right next to each other and so oftentimes what can kick ourselves out of that thing is just a hot minute to like lean back and like let's let's pull ourselves back to the, the general idea of what we're doing here what our goals are what problems we're trying to solve uh, that very much helps I think a, a fellow creative who you share a, a brainwave with uh, even I mean oftentimes that's not it's not him 
uh, and it's someone at a totally different field, and they'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be wrestling with something big, and frankly, oftentimes I hear like, dude, it's just beer, like have, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have fun, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and and that's a little bit of permission to like to let it go and don't put so much weight on something. But the other solution that that I often resort to is that it's still a very small company and we run a canning line in the back that's usually running. So about a half hour working on the canning line and I'll, I'll oh, come up that's with something. Cool. It's kind of, it's that's that, a, that's it's good, shower man. mentality, you know, or whatever. Like, get away from it, go do something else and talk to someone who doesn't know anything or doesn't, you know, intend to know much about the design process and they'll sometimes have something. That's really cool. I like, uh, I want to go back to the first thing where you said, uh, I always find that if I jump into the sketchbook without defining the problem, that that's where it always goes wrong. And and I that's one of the reasons I asked about what's good design is defining the problem for me is almost always what is good in this scenario? Like I think about that question all the time. For instance, when you say, what's a good podcast? Well, you might think, well, it's kind of like a good TED Talk or it's kind of like an audio book. The truth is, neither of those are true. People listen to podcasts while they're doing the dishes or they do it while they're mowing the grass. They're do- and, and so they don't, they're distracted. Yeah. So what makes a good audio book or what makes a good TED Talk doesn't necessarily translate. Sure, yeah. So you got to, so I love this idea. So a lot of times if I get into a, or an editorial illustration or whatever and I'm just drawing or working with something and I never stop to say like, what is the? What am I trying to achieve with this? What does success uh, look like in this situation? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I, and so I love that you said that. I also think about it like I keep uh, working with these two polarizing sides of creativity, um, which are I call it exploratory or strategic. So I think a lot of people think of creativity as exploratory, which is to me starting without knowing where it's going to go. Like that's a lot of people's definition of creativity is we're going to start working on a song and the whole point is that we have no idea what it's going to be until we've done it, right? Right. Whereas strategic is the opposite where you're saying uh, this is the end we have in mind, some goal, and we're going to reverse engineer how we get that. Yeah. Um, and so I think for, for me, design is hits a lot of the strategy side. You uh-huh. know, like setting that benchmark before you get started. Right. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really like that. Which is an, an interesting contrast. So my my background is not in design at all. I kind of fell backwards into it. I studied uh, printmaking. I studied art in school. And I it took a long time for me to break out of the... the uh, I had this, this kind of strata that, like, making something good was about... Uh, peering down dark hallways where you don't know where they are, what, where they go, mm-hmm. and that's you know exploratory to yeah. your point. Um, but design is very much more about uh, you know putting a putting a, a dot on the wall and throwing a dart at it. You yeah, know, you can't you can't you can't hit that dot if it's not there. You were saying that sometimes when you get stuck. You'll go out to the canning. Are you yeah. actually like working? Yeah, there's okay. a I mean, there's a there's a pack off table. None of the important stuff. That's sure, all done right. by the time the chemist. Someone's yeah. someone's working there, and they're just they have headphones on, and they're just taking canning cans and putting them on pallets, basically. And uh, those those folks are happy for a break. for a break. Yeah, go eat their lunch and whatever. And so you can always step in and help them. And that's just 
my my case, but I think there's there's always a sidewalk that, that can be shoveled, or there's always a you know bar towels that can be folded, or whatever it is, and, and it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't take long to find something you can do for half an hour and uh, if if it doesn't enlighten you at least it'll uh, it'll de-escalate your anxiety about what you're in so the next time you sit back down you have a little bit more objectivity towards what you're doing man you might look at your screen and say that was that was dumb what I did for, the, for two hours there yeah. you know like yeah. this is this is the wrong direction and I'm glad you caught it now I love that. It reminds me of uh, my buddy who used to work like doing more manual labor kind of stuff. He's a designer now, but how he would have so many good ideas doing manual labor. And then when he quit doing that, he was doing design full time. He just found like his ideas dried up. So, you know what I mean? There's something about there's a monastic kind of, you know, meditation to doing stuff like that. Tons of gold. Uh, I love uh, talking about defining the problem, defining good. I love what he talked about, you know, canning, manual labor to kind of get the wheel turning. There's a meditation to like just getting something done. I feel like it's a cool bundling thing that happens. You know, bundling we've talked about on the show where, you know, putting together things you don't want to do with the things that you do want to do as a way of getting through the parts of your creative business that you really dread. Um, How can you kind of put those things together so that they're bearable? And I feel like there's a thing here where if you're in a creative problem, you can go do the non-creative work that it takes to keep the creative practice thriving and see that non-creative work as a meditation, as manual labor that can help get the gears turning in your brain in different parts and let your subconscious, you know, mull on those creative problems. I like that because I need those kind of incentives to do the boring stuff. I also love this thing. We talked about strategic creativity versus exploratory. That's been a big theme on the podcast lately. And I've been thinking about how exploratory creativity, pure exploratory, is kind of like the show Lost, where every episode they were making it up as they went along. And it was exciting during the process, but the end result, you know, not everybody was crazy about that because it ended in a place where, you know, it didn't seem as planned. Whereas a, a movie like Knives Out, which is a murder mystery, there's a very clear end in sight and it was kind of written backwards to get to that point. And then I was thinking recently about Curb Your Enthusiasm, that Larry David comedy show. Uh, They have a really good synthesis of both of them. And so they do exploratory creativity because every scene is improv. There's no specific script. And yet every scene has to get a very particular plot point across. And so that's the strategic side. And they kind of married them together of like, we know where the episode has to go. We know where every scene has to land for it to end up there but we're going to explore all along the way until we get there and let it happen organically. And uh, yeah, I love that we got to tease out some of these ideas because I think there's some magic if we can figure out how to loosely hold intention, exploratory creativity with strategic. Um, Yeah, fantastic. Love chatting with you, Mitch. You are awesome. Next, let's go to Wes. Wes. Eisenhower. Here we have a very 
very busy creative person. Wes is the director of Kick Turn Creative Studio. He's a photographer. He's a musician in the band Soul Crate, which is Spotify verified, and they have millions of listens. He's also verified on Instagram as a photographer and designer. This guy is world-class in pretty much every single way. And I went and met so many people in Sioux Falls, and almost all of them said, Wes encourages and inspires my creative practice, uh, which is just so moving to me. In this clip, Wes and I talk about how he transitioned his focus from his music career to his photography and design, and I want you to take away this idea. With creativity, nothing gets wasted. Wes used his music career to deeply inspire and plant seeds in his design and photography career. I see too many creative people pivot so hard in their practice that they don't use the skills, networks, connections, and lessons from their previous paths in their new paths. Even when it's not a creative path, there are things that you can take over. There are connections and networks and and, and skill sets that can help you stand out in your market and help you start in this new path instead of starting from scratch. When I first started public speaking, my first thought was, what does a pro public speaker do? Where do they get started? But instead, I thought, what if I infiltrate the market and industry that I'm already part of in the illustration and design speaking circuit and use that as a launch pad for other stages outside of my world? Okay, enough with the preamble. Here is a chat with Wes Eisenhower, and let's learn from his big creative pivot. Were you originally a musician and you worked your way into photography? Yeah, um, yep, so, um, yeah, played music uh, in the same group for uh, almost 18 years, did some, you know, national tours in in the U.S., Um, played music, came into, you know, the band bought a a camera, we bought a Canon 5D Mark II just because we needed Uh photography in, in content, and this was a you know, probably seven, eight years ago. And when I got that camera in my hand, I was just like, my goodness, this is a powerful tool. Oh my goodness. And I, and I, I bought it to do with the intention of doing video stuff first. And then kind of took a step back and was like, all right, I need to learn how to take a photo before I can do anything else. And, um, didn't talk much about it. Just started going to work on it and decided I wanted to be good at it. And, um, that gave me the same kind of feeling as music. Um, that rush of being creative and putting things out there and getting a response and feedback and doing it again and trying to get better and uh it also paid the bills a lot better and allowed me to not have to be away from my family uh you know 90 to 120 days a year so um still obviously do a lot of music have incorporated that in the video and creative work we do a lot of our own scores for video stuff and little you know little music things so um photography kind of fed that same energy as the music did but it ended up being something that i could really see a clear career path Uh, with yeah i even noticed the music in the videos but i wasn't aware that it was in-house stuff sure it sounds great thanks it's really it's really cool feel like the music uh, experience changed how you approach photography like when you're doing 
because uh, you do a lot of weddings, do you feel like the gig culture and the you know all of the stuff you were doing with shows somehow impacted you to be a different kind of photographer? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I also I often attribute one thing I, I, I say uh, to a lot of my clients in 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 the photography world is like. I'm never gonna get ruffled. You're never gonna see me stressed out. Like if I'm in a situation that needs to be, uh, I'm gonna try to be as level as I can at all times. And I think a lot of people, most people, can learn how to use a camera, but it's also how you're gonna use that camera. How are you gonna make your subjects feel at ease? How are you gonna walk into a room of people you don't know and pull that camera out? And and uh, so yeah, like that has. Um, informed the way I approach photography, certainly. And I, I think another thing, I feel like I have a reasonably high threshold for stressful situations. Yeah. And I attribute that a lot to being on, on stage, stage yeah. and being in front of a crowd of 500 people. And then suddenly it's like, okay, it's time to freestyle. And it's like, what are you going to come up with in front of all these yeah. people? And you're obviously going to eat shit. You're put on the spot. <laughs> and you're going to do it a lot. Yeah. And suddenly after you you do do that a few times like those other moments they become easier to handle in my mind so i attribute a lot of my threshold for stressful moments to being on stage in front of a thousand strangers yeah that makes total sense okay so that's wes eisenhower did you ever have the most delicious meal but you just couldn't finish it and you got a doggy bag, you got the takeout box, but then you left the takeout box at the table at the restaurant and you just sit up every night dreaming about that slice of pizza that you could have had, the one that got away. So just me? Well, that might just be you if you leave this creative takeaway uh, out of your brain as you leave this episode. Do not forget it. If you use your creativity, nothing gets wasted. To me, creativity has this redemptive grace that means even the most seemingly wasteful side roads and roadblocks and dead ends can be redeemed if you will use your creativity and use all that crap that didn't go right as fertilizer for your next big pivot. So good. Okay, last but anything but least, I have to introduce you to my new friend, Hugh Weber. Hugh is the managing director of The Great Discontent and the design observer, and he actually is the owner of The Great Discontent now. And when I found out that the owner of The Great Discontent was in Sioux Falls, I was beyond thrilled. You may not know this, but The Great Discontent is an interview publication that focuses on interviewing you know, creative excellence, cre people with creative excellence. And many of the people that I've interviewed on this show, I found in their magazine. Many of these, many of the creative lessons that I've learned from studying thriving creative people came from the stories that I've read in The Great Discontent. It's, there's so much creative gold that has been put out through this online and in print magazine. I actually didn't even have it in my schedule to meet up with Hugh. It came up last minute on my last day before I flew out, but I'm so glad that I made uh, it a priority to hang out with this guy because it freaking 
changed me this conversation hugh is my people we had a super huge long sprawling intense chat we were both passionately like excited um and uh and he we talked about how the closest people in your life can change you and how they inspire and influence everything that you do uh and one day i want to have hugh on this show in his own episode so we can talk about all of that stuff but i want to share with you uh i want to leave and end this episode the way that hugh ended our conversation because it literally brought a tear to my eye it deeply inspired me and moved me um, this guy is just a living embodiment of the graciousness and creativity that i want to ooze out from this podcast uh hugh gifted me this little button that he had on his shirt that said i have seen the future and uh he told me a story about this button that made me cry (laughs) i left this conversation moved and inspired and refueled because of this story and i don't want to spoil it anymore so here he is the wonderful hugh weber my inspiring kind of uh, um, spark for a lot of this. I, w- I wear this this pin, so I, you got you have to imagine in your mind's eye. I wear this pin that is a simple blue border that just says, "I have seen the future." You, are you familiar with this no, at all? No, I've said, so, I think I've seen them before, but so, I don't know what it is. So, so in uh, 1939, we're, we're just in the midst of the Great Depression. Uh, uh, New York, uh, actually, you know, a couple years early, but in 1939, 1940, New York decides to hold a World's Fair, and so these World's Fair would draw from countries all over the world. They were these incredible kind of spaces of design and culture and, and, and interaction. It's actually on the grounds of like where the U.S. Open is and, you know, that that, that was where they held it. Um, it was the first major uh, collection of global designers, right? So like graphic design only became a thing. Design only became a thing in the early 1900s. Yeah. This was like 12 years later and this was the first collection of them. So they all they all got together like they... Uh, Ladislaw Sutner, who's a great designer from Czechoslovakia, came over. Um, all the uh, like through all through all over the world, they came together. Um, Sutner's an interesting story because while he was here working on the exhibit for Czechoslovakia, Hitler took his country, and so he never got to return home. He likes like so it's this moment between the Great Depression, which is like tragic domestically and you know world war ii and the holocaust and that is tragic you know on a humanity scale but uh there was a designer named uh, norman belgettis and norman had primarily been a stage designer on broadway and general motors again we we tend to think of like corporate engagement means that things are sold out and shitty right like sorry now we need now we need beep Um, uh, but this was a moment where like corporations were trusting designers to say like tell us what the future looks like so they did this exhibit called Futurama which you know of course like you you google and you get a bunch of images of the robot but like um, Futurama and it was this like incredible um, uh, experience that people it was it reminds me a lot of like the older school Disney rides where you'd sit on this thing, you kind of hover at these huge heights over these modern, you know, futuristic cities. They were imagining what 1960 would look like, right? So transportation, food, work, all these things. At the very end, the very end, you, you, if you were one of the 5 million people that went through it over the course of two summers, you were given this pin that simply said, I have seen the future. 
and on the back, you know, it make, you make sure that it's a real one from 1939, 1940, right? So I started as an exercise in my own kind of needing to make sure I stayed optimistic. Because, like, how optimistic would you have to be on the cusp of World War II and having just gone through the Great Depression to be like, let's imagine 20 years from now. No, you would be like, the world is coming to an end. I'm not going to imagine next week. We think that right now is this, like, tragic, crazy moment in time. And it is. It is. It's a challenging moment. But, like, we still need to imagine what 2040 is going to be like or, or we won't. So... What I started, what I started as a matter of practice, Andy, and this is how I'll wrap up with you. But what I started as a matter of practice is, I wanted a way to commit in that same kind of ROI kind of thinking to people that when I met them, maybe for the first time, maybe 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 I'd met them a couple times, to say like you're someone that 20 years from now. I'd like to be collaborating. Like when I look at my future 20 years from now, you're a part of it. And so people like Brad Montague and people like, you know, a, a lot of my friends through AIGA and I just met this extraordinary designer, Lawrence Azerod, who won a Grammy for doing the Voyager gold medal album, like just crazy stuff. So today is your day, Andy J. Pizza. <laughs> today you join what's called, don't tell anyone, but it's called the 1939 Society. Yeah. And you are one what? of less than 50 oh that join the official oh, I've Seen the Future Club. So welcome. Yes. Your membership packet will be in the mail. <laughs> the obligations are this, right? Oh the obligations gosh. are optimism. The obligations are connection. The obligations are doing something generative with your career. And you're doing all those things, but you've got to do it for the next 20 years, okay. right? Like you've, right. Got, you've got to keep busy. building because you're doing great work. Man, so. I, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, that is so good. Thank you so much, Hugh, for your generous, creative spirit. It is so inspiring to me. Thank you, Sioux Falls in South Dakota, for bringing me there and sponsoring this episode and, and that trip. I am, man, even just going back through these conversations, I am so excited and fueled by the enthusiasm that I witnessed there. I think, you know, I usually am traveling to these big creative hotspots, if you will, and I love them. I'm, you know, I'm inspired by going to LA and New York and, uh, and so many of my favorite creative people live in those places, but witnessing the enthusiasm for creativity that I saw in Sioux Falls has just reinvigorated me. You know, this idea of just like tasting this beer, tasting this coffee, tasting this sandwich, tasting these screen prints. I'd licked a few screen prints while I was there. Um, <laughs> see, seeing that and, and just this energy of like, we made that. Can you believe we get to do this? We get to make this stuff for a living and, and contribute to our creative community and do it together with friends like and be part of this thing. Like that enthusiasm, I haven't felt that enthusiasm since like 2007 uh, when I was back in college just getting my teeth sunk into this creative meat for the first time and tofu if you're vegan. Um, I know you can't eat metaphorical meat if you're vegan. Um, but just the enthusiasm of like, let's make something and let's, let's 
do it for each other and share and, and, and support and encourage each other. I found so much of that raw enthusiasm and lack of jadedness in Sioux Falls. And it really did fire me up. I hope this episode fires you up as much as these conversations did for me. Total gifts. Loved it. Thanks again, South Dakota, for making this happen. Don't forget to go check out the hashtag state of create hashtag state of create to go check out the, the amazing wilderness that inspires these people in South Dakota and see all the cool stuff they're doing. I think they got something really special. If you're ever in the area, go check it out. It's not a huge place, but it is packed to the brim with creative enthusiasm, cool record shops, cool people doing cool stuff. You're not going to want to miss it. Hashtag state of create. Thanks again, South Dakota. And you can find all the links to the people that I talk to in this show at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. Go check out the show notes and all the things are linked up in that place. Man, so many good creative tactics and tips. I've been referencing this stuff ever since I had these conversations and I think you will too. Don't leave the doggy bag of delicious pizza on the table. Take these things away, take some notes, put them into practice. And you're going to see some cool stuff happen in your own creativity. Thanks to Yoni Wolf in the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Ryan Appleton, who is my agent to help, who helped like organize this whole thing and made sure that I knew where to go, when to go and when and how and worked out all the details. Couldn't have done it without you, man. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our theme music. You can go listen to the theme music. It's instrumental music, really good for working too, for getting those creative juices flowing. We need some instrumental stuff. Go check it out. Alex Sugg, Creative Pep Talk Soundtrack Volume 1 on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks to Chris Graham for audio assistance. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>